You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey Greg, what about a Christmas romance film where a writer falls in love with his Portuguese housekeeper? Um, okay. Meantime, a wife finds a gift from her husband that is actually meant for his mistress. Like a different couple? And all the while, the Prime Minister of England is having a work fling, kinda, with his staff member. This is a, a Christmas movie. Okay, and then Liam it turns Neeson out that Keira Knightley has a Christmas stalker who's her husband's best laid. friend! Whoa, 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 whoa! I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies, as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beavert. And today we are discussing the film Love, Gamma, Actually, uh, as requested by listener Deja. And our guest uh, for this particular episode, uh, excited to have one of the co-hosts of the Read Along podcast, a sibling podcast here on the Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, and, uh, of course, a uh, uh, fr- friend of the show might be a bit of an understatement. Please welcome uh, Anita Bourgeois. Uh, I prefer lover of the show, if, uh, oh, if we may escalate. <laughs> I mean, very appropriate for today's episode. Right? Lover, actually. Yeah, this is our holly jolly holiday episode. Merry Christmas, everyone. Or at least merry close to Christmas. Christmas season. Yeah. Merry Christmas cr- season. Cr- cr- merry Christmas season. Post Black Friday holiday special. I don't. I don't mean to provoke comments, but happy holidays. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna get hate mail for that. I'm sorry. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that like we've we've now got it in our heads that there's pe- these people pulling their hair out at saying happy holidays. I don't think anyone yeah, really. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We've all moved on. The earth is burning. We don't have time for this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we watched. Uh, we watched Love Actually. Uh, this. this uh, this is my this is my first time with this film. How about all y'all? Also, my first time with this film. Oh, not my first time. How many times have you watched it, Anita? Uh, I think this would be uh, three. Solid. I think this is. Think. I think this might be three. Do you have any particular attachment to it? I okay. I, I almost feel weird being on the show with you guys for this movie because I genuinely like this movie. I enjoy this movie a great deal. It is, it's a happy movie for me. I like it a lot. This is neat. I, I was, <laughs> I I came in with this with real low expectations and was pleasantly surprised. I overall enjoyed it. I um, actually, I would agree. I overall thought it was pretty watchable. Not a not terribly offensive as rom coms go. Yeah, the the first time Christmas I watched it. Go. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first time I watched it, I went in mostly blind. I knew about one of the plots, kind of. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Like Scott said, I am trashy and this is my trash. No, it's 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 not 
again, it is, I am, I'm okay on this movie. It was pretty, <laughs> I, I would not complain if someone made me watch it a second time. I would not choose to watch it a second time like at, a, at a Christmas thing. And someone's like, well, what if we all just get together and watch Love Actually? I'd be like, all right. I think compared to Kingsman, the Golden Circle, this movie was a treat. Oh, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, it's it, it. there's no denying that, like, it, it, you know, it's it's a well-structured film that's perfectly watchable. Um, I, <laughs> I realized about this about myself and I'm not. This may sound weird, so bear with me for a second, but like I'm happily married, you know, I've been married seven years and I, I noticed while I was watching this that like I don't get the same feelings from a rom-com I mean, anymore. Like it's just like that kind of like part of my life of like the chase and all that kind of stuff is over with and I just don't get the same thrill out of it. I don't know, maybe other people feel the same or differently or maybe I'm just got a cynical black heart but like that made enjoying the arcs of each individual story very difficult for me and i mostly saw the uh the flaws particularly the sort of like um questionable social angles that this movie had from you know being a 2004 movie 2004 2003 Three. something like that. Yeah. yeah this movie yeah. definitely suffers from late 90s early 2000s rom-com tropes uh, which in hindsight are super problematic. But I will say, um, one of the things that I liked about this movie is that it really does explore different kinds of love. And not all of the story arcs are about the chase. Some of them are about lived in love. Some of them are about falling out of love. Some of them are about awkward love. Some of them are about platonic love. And and I thought that worked, kind of. Yep, definitely the intent. My main thought was that horny men should not write rom-coms. That was, I mean, <laughs> that's my, that's Christmas my key movies. note. <laughs> or actually, yeah. sorry, I should, no, they should write more Christmas movies. Cause that was the, 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 I think the thing that surprised me the most about this was there were parts of this where I'm like, is this Porky's? Like, is this a, a <laughs> like a college sex romp? Like there's so many, I there's was definitely I was, more titties than I was expecting. Yes. I like, so this weekend, I, remembered. I, oh, I watched this on British. Sunday. It, yeah, the British care a little less about tops, but so I, I watched this on Sunday, and the Saturday before, I watched uh, a film called Climax, a French film directed by Gaspar Noé, uh, about a bunch of uh, dancers that uh, get sort of stuck in a cabin. Somebody spikes them with L- uh, spikes their sangria after rehearsal with LSD, and it's sort of like a horror thriller as twenty five ensemble cast members collectively lose their mind. And I was like very braced for that to be a pretty like horny movie, like lots of lots of boobs, lots of sexy grinding, and it was mostly just like deranged LSD trip stuff. Uh, and then, surprise, surprise, <laughs> all the horniness I was looking for was in Love Actually all along. <laughs> Love Actually, all the horniness you were actually looking for. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's my my double feature recommendation is <laughs> Guess What yeah. Noise Climax and Love Actually for just a tonal a tonal whiplash of a double feature. Weirdly, you're the second person to bring up Climax in the last week to me. Um, oh, weird. A movie that I had heard of before, but just the it, weird serendipity moment that you brought it up at the same time someone else did. Yeah, I do remember the trailer for it and it looking um, visually kind of stunning. So it, Yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. I definitely would watch Love Actually again before I watched it again. I think like okay. one, one was definitely more like of a cinematic feast for the eyes, but the other one was like palatable enough to like hand stomach a second time. 
I'll scratch that off the old uh, letterbox uh, watch list yeah. then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, but let's get back to back to Love Actually. Of course, it was a 2003 film uh, written and directed by Richard Curtis of Four Weddings and a Funeral fame. I assume that's the film Four Weddings and a Funeral and not a film called Four Weddings and also a film called A Funeral. Uh, I... <laughs> Have you never seen Four Weddings and a Funeral? I, I have. I'm just playing with the, the way the oh, notes are Oh, thank God. I'm <laughs> worried about you for a second. Um, uh, of course, starring an ensemble cast, uh, uh, a handful of which I will mention now, Bill Nye, Colin Firth, Liam Neeson, Emma Thompson, Martin Freeman, Alan Rickman, Andrew Lincoln, Kira Knightley, and Hugh Grant. But let's, uh, let's, uh, let's hear from the trailer, and then we'll get into this, uh, this potentially new Christmas classic. This holiday season, join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. 20 years ago, you'd have been just his time. (laughs) As they explore that time of year, when desires are revealed. I'm in love. Aren't you too young to be in love? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Secrets are exposed. Your secretary is very pretty. Be careful then. And chances are finally taken. All I want for Christmas is you. (laughs) It's nearly Christmas and examples of love are all around us, but specifically a group of loosely connected Londoners. Jamie is a struggling writer who pursues his Portuguese housekeeper who can't speak English. Gross. Harry is cheating on his wife. Isn't love grand? Mark is in love with his best friend's wife and records creepy secret videos of her. That's romantic, right? Billy Mack is a washed-up rock and roll legend who realizes he'd like to spend Christmas with his manager and best friend Joe, but they aren't gay. Colin travels to the United States to have group sex with four Midwesterners. Stick an arrow in me, Cupid. I'd like to die now. Oh, and the Prime Minister is single and ready to mingle with his assistant who is sexually harassed by the President of the United States? Merry Christmas? It it occurred to me today that, um, uh, you know, the the U.S. president in this movie is a, a total asshole and a and a bully uh-huh. and i thought it was funny like considering this movie came out in 2003 and like <laughs> the towers get hit in 2001 like that is a real loss of goodwill that the united states <laughs> lost like in that short of a time like they went from you know, two years earlier, everyone being on board with them. And then in 2003, there's movies coming out that basically make them look like, like pricks. Right. It's also interesting that, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, who plays U S president, that is the name of the character, uh, (laughs) is like a weird amalgamation of both Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, which I thought was, was, cute you know kind of way like he's he's like let's take the last two presidents and just put them together like their worst traits i definitely felt like the wardrobe gave him the bush vibe that felt purposeful to but me. his but his attitude and his accent and his sexual harassment are all mm. very clinton mm. yeah yeah that's true and that's true. i props to the casting uh billy bob thornton does a superb job of being just skeezy enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. 
do we want to do we want to just hit it right off the hop because there's lots to talk about this movie there's a hundred plot lines sure why not what was with the weird the weird rah-rah england's gonna not take your shit anymore (laughs) fantasy speech (laughs) that said so so much of nothing in such a (laughs) sound and fury signifying nothing like (laughs) that was uh that was definitely like aaron sorkin levels of idealism right there <laughs> yeah the, the the store brand aaron sorkin <laughs> well you know here here's the thing i i think that's actually a very clever bit of writing because we're in a rom-com right that's the universe that we are in we are in mm-hmm. a rom-com and we all know the speech isn't about policy Right? But it has to look that way. Because to the rest of the world, it needs to be a powerful political speech. But she knows that he's talking right to her. That's fair. (laughs) Right? So it has to be, it has to be what it is. And I think it's a beautiful mesh of passing it off as political speech and actually being a very sweet romantic moment at the same time. I don't know. I I just can't get around, like, the fact that he basically... started an international incident <laughs> like I, I don't know. Woman. <laughs> yeah. but in the early 2000s that would be very romantic he was willing to go to war with the u.s over me oh <laughs> i mean who who hasn't wanted to tell the u.s president to fuck right off right so i get it i get why the scene's written and it must have been like, fun to write i feel like most human conflict has been started because they're trying to impress a lady uh, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, good. That that part's out of the way. Which, which other of these dozen storylines do we want to discuss? Yeah, this is going to be a wild episode because, the, <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like we've got to almost like divide and conquer me. Like, you take this story, I'll take this one. Oh yeah, the movie bounces around bonkers amounts, right? We we jump back and forth over plots all the time. So I do think they did a good job weaving them, like having like little characters show up or having relationships that are tangential enough that they don't interfere but connected enough that it feels connected like having emma thompson be hugh uh hugh grant's sister yeah and also Liam neeson's friend yeah no i like that uh the the six degrees of separation between the characters is just enough that you get why they're all there well and it's also so that um all of them can be more or less in the same place for the climax, right? Yeah. yeah. For the yeah. most part, they're all in the same place for the climax. Not everybody the, is, but most the, everybody. The narrative <laughs> weave of this, I, I definitely think, is impressive, or at least competent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are definitely some plot lines that are stronger than others. I <laughs> really legitimately like the plot line with uh, Liam Neeson and his stepson. Yep. And I love, love, love the relationship between the two of them, especially because it is his stepson. It's not his biological son, but he's like totally there for him and supportive and loving and caring the whole way. Uh, that was really touching. I really liked the dynamic between the two of them. I really liked the little the little puppy love story that he had going. I thought that was really cute and well done. The fact that they were just genre aware enough to know that, like, no, this is not the declaration of love time. You have to chase her to the airport first. That's mm-hmm. that's where the declaration of love has to happen. <laughs> yeah, you gotta chase her down. <laughs> and it's adorable that this eleven year old boy gets the dramatic move, the the dramatic music, mm-hmm. and the big scene where he's running through the airport and he calls her name. Like, it's 
I'm I'm reluctant to call it like a um, a deconstruction. It's not it's not so much a deconstruction of a rom com as uh, as it's almost leaning towards parody of. Or just like Greg said, genre aware. Yeah, very genre aware. Absolutely. Yeah, which I also like. They could have done that and just fine. But the fact that airports are part of the movie too. Like, mm-hmm. they earn having an airport scene by setting up airports at the beginning and at the end. Yep. Um, though also it starts the same as Dogma, technically. Yeah. Dogma the first, first five minutes of Dogma is someone sitting in, in an airport going, man, I love watching people get connected and love each other in an airport. Yep. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen Dogma in ages. I don't remember that. Yeah. I was like, damn, this is this is the same five minutes as Dogma. Anyway. That's nice. I, I, I agree that, like, the... The Liam Neeson storyline is probably one of the cutest ones. the 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 timeline was a little weird for me, like the because the movie starts is it six weeks before Christmas, right? Yeah, uh, five or yeah. six. And like yeah. five. They're, they're, at the start of that, they're they're at his wife's funeral, mm-hmm. um, and like they there's no there's no grieving at all, and like None. not really a mention <laughs> of grieving, and that there's- like. The, the implication. Sorry, finish. Finish your thought. Finish. Well, it's just like, like I guess there's. I guess that's implied, Scott. That there's uh, grieving in that he's dealing with. I don't know. He's is he grieving through his uh, pining through for this other girl? I know maybe that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, but I mean, it, it's just that the like it would have been really easy. Like you didn't have to start the move, start their storyline off with a funeral. Like it could have just very well been like you know they they had been he had been with his stepson for months without their mother around and like they're at the point where they're trying to you know move past things a little bit yeah um, that's that fair. probably would have made a little bit more sense but to I, like to to start off with the funeral was a little bit much i think yeah we see the kid at the funeral and then we see him talking about how he's got a crush on a girl at school and i'm like wow you've just moved right on from mom haven't you well the implication and certainly what i i gleaned from their storyline was that mom had been sick for a while so they were probably they had probably pre-grieved her loss in a way because mm-hmm. when someone and speaking from personal experience when someone is very sick for a long time you know that they're not going to make it you go through kind of a pre-grieving and then when it happens it's it still sucks there is still grief but you've you've done a you've front loaded a lot of that mm-hmm. um and i kind of read that that's what had happened with them and to be fair liam neeson at first thinks that his son is like really torn up about the loss of his mom and he's trying to get him to open up to him and it's only when he finally opens up to to him that he realizes, oh, it's because you're actually in love with this girl in your school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well this is this is actually in a way easier to deal with. Let's let's discuss this. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just like to avoid the confusion. It would have just been easier to yeah. do it yeah, the other I way would, around. Only because like in a in a movie like this where they've got so many little plots that aren't really going to mesh together in any big way, um, you really have the uh, very little time to get your point across so the you know it just it just simplifying things for the audience i think is key and yeah i don't know i i, I would agree yeah it, that was one of the stronger ones uh i i liked the alan rickman storyline for the most part though i don't like the ending and that's going to be one of my my big fixes is like i liked everything that happened to alan rickman and his wife and emma stone thompson. uh uh what's that thompson? emma thompson emma thompson but who's who's the who's the mistress Oh, yeah, fair enough. 
Emma Stone. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that Emma Stone? Yeah. <gasps> My God, I'm embarrassed. I didn't um, even recognize her. Very, very, yeah, young. And, anyway, um, it, it, all great up until she confronts him about it. Uh, and then he his dialogue, his lines are, oh, I am so in the wrong here. I have been a classic fool. That's not an apology. That's not anything. Um, he does not apologize uh, or suffer any meaningful consequences for hurting his wife that way, who did nothing to deserve being treated by that. I suppose it depends I feel like Greg on is how you define. Is it really Emma Stone, and <laughs> it's not. It is. It's not. <laughs> oh it's shit! Not. <laughs> Fuck! I could have swore it was. I thought I saw it in the. Mm. I, I mean, I guess she's got she's got a kind of a similar look to her, but I think I wonder, I at this point her. Emma Stone would have been doing like um, super bad, right? She's she's quite a bit younger than I think the actress in this movie. Oh my god, is super bad that old? Oh. Yes. I guess leave this into the podcast, but I'm embarrassed. But the whole time I'm like, damn, this is like Emma Stone before she got famous. Well, no wonder I didn't recognize her. It wasn't her. (laughs) Yeah, actually, even worse, Super Bad was 2007. There you go. Oh, well, okay. Well, never mind. I I cash. I'll take the demerits on my movie nerd card. Sorry. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Um, I, I like the way that their story ends um because it it's it's set up because like one of the first things she says to liam neeson's character is like don't go around blubbering in public you gotta like nobody wants to see your private life so you've you gotta clam that stuff up and then sure enough like throughout the movie when she does get her heart broken like she goes has a private cry and then she puts on a brave face and she only kind of confronts him kind of privately and then puts on a brave face and like to me it tracks that she would not bail on the marriage at that point because there's appearances to keep up right it's a very british thing yeah so her her reaction to it tracks for me i feel like that's an earned moment but i do agree with you that uh alan rickman should be much more torn up and much more apologetic yeah either an apology or consequences but mm-hmm. yeah yeah it also depends on how you define cheating he didn't sleep with his secretary. He might have. I thought that was implied. I, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. buy a gold necklace for someone who was just my secretary. Well, that's just it. We don't know. He. It, it's never confirmed. It's never strongly implied. This is uh, a good point to bring up the fact that uh, the director has gone on record saying that the intention is, and it is certainly his firm belief, that Alan Rickman did sleep with his secretary. Oh, okay. But when she puts it on, she's wearing... Yeah. Yeah, she's wearing, like, pretty skinny. But but she's also alone. It's not shown in the movie, and that does mean that it is left to interpretation, so... Yeah. Yeah. My interpretation is that uh, it it wasn't, that he was found out before he ever followed through. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could could be. I mean, and it would still be... It would still be a fairly big betrayal of trust either oh, way. I mean, I like 100%. obviously one's much sure. bigger than others, but like, yeah, I mean the, the, the intention to cheat is, is um, pretty bad at the same time. So, so yeah, I, I like, I, I, I think I like that story. It's probably my second favorite one. Um, just because it was the one that had kind of the most dramatic elements to it. Yeah. Um, a lot of the other stuff kind of put me to sleep a little bit. Um, 
and or maybe mad like uh like british matthew lillard going to the united yes. states to to go on a on a fuck bender i am we are going to talk about this because i think that plot is hilarious and i also think it can be pulled making a face. whole I, the whole plot can be pulled out of this movie without compromising its integrity the reason i think it's hilarious is because i think i get the joke he's a british loser in a british rom-com who realizes he's in a british rom-com but but knows that he has a secret weapon if he gets into an american sex comedy so he goes to an american sex comedy uses his english accent and gets all the ladies and it's a stupid harebrained idea that only works because he's in a rom-com he's in so it works yeah that's and to me that's that's hilarious he he gets this stupid idea that everyone's like that's a stupid idea and he follows through on it and it works because he walks into american pie basically (laughs) like literally with some of the cast of american pie um (laughs) and again it's it's a plot that can be pulled wholesale out of this movie and the movie does not suffer from it and if we are trying to fix this movie I think it should be lifted out of this movie but I do think it's funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I I think um, if that was the intention um, by the director writer um, that's perfectly fine and maybe it just like went over my head if and if i had uh you know from a british perspective it might be easier to get in on the joke too i guess but like um it, it was mostly what bothered it uh, bothered me about it was that the scene where he's picking up the american girls because i just wanted to jump out of my skin it just felt very cringy and gross <laughs> and i was just like i don't like this i want it to stop i mean to yeah, be fair it's an american sex comedy yeah. it's like a raunchy comedy he he walks into a raunchy american comedy basically uh so it is cringy and gross especially because it is again suffering from late 90s early 2000s uh rom-com tropes so but that's fair. I mean, that, but that's I think a, it is I'm, funny. I'm glad you brought that perspective up. And, Scott, and I, I do think I it is. About it that way. I do think it is intentional and I do think it is funny because I think it's intentional. But again, to clarify, it is also the one plot that if you pull it from this tapestry, nothing unravels. Yeah. <laughs> that, plot's, that plot's not about love. And it's it, that it plot's is. about sex. And that is yeah. that is another thing is that it is not about love. It is about sex. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hold on. If this one was your second favorite, Greg, which one was your first favorite? Oh, I actually thought the one that was the cutest for me was the uh, was the stand-in actors. Yeah, <gasps> me too. <laughs> I love I that one so much. I, I wanted I, much I, more I, of them. I love that he was ironically the most wholesome one, right? You know, when that's, he, yeah. The the bit where they're like having this really like cute work thing. Uh, it's like, ooh, it's like fun. In fact, I almost wonder like why they bothered with the lady and her her brother. I guess actually, no, that makes sense. I was gonna say why they bothered, but that one is a nice one too. The late the lady who can't go on the date with the with the handsome engineer because she's got to take care of her brother. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but that's I was like that that was good. But like this had the same kind of element of like this like work romance that like ooh it could, yeah. um, but very different tonally. So never. It's the one with Laura Linney. Yeah. It just had that same kind of like up until we meet the brother, both the one with Martin Freeman, the the, the sexy stand-in body doubles, and this one of her too shy to ask out the engineer, um, had the same kind of energy. Had this like, ooh, can yes, okay, I like you. Like, yeah, that's all I was trying to say. 
Yeah, and, and I, I suppose it's kind of like one of them works out, one of them doesn't for yeah. for various reasons, which is which is good contrast. Um, I, I guess the only thing that um, that um, somewhat bothered me about Laura Linney's storyline is like it, it felt like one of those sort of sitcom situations where it's like if if the two people just like broke just like talked it out a little bit, then it was like problem solved. It you know, have been as I don't know, like yeah. Like it just get like they let it get really awkward between them when I when it felt like just like having a you know decent conversation about it would probably help and they could probably work things out. Uh-huh. Oh, but that's not the British way. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember we're in London. I guess, but Laura Linney's an American in the film, right? It's true. An American in London. <laughs> so, fun fact: I I actually know this little bit of trivia about the movie. Um, they were having a lot of trouble casting that character because the director kept saying, I'd really like a Laura Linney type and I can't find a Laura Linney type. None of these people are reminding me of Laura Linney. And finally the casting director was like, why don't you just audition Laura Linney then? So they did and she got the part. And so they rewrote <laughs> the character to be American to accommodate her. Because <laughs> he, he had in his mind an actress that he wanted, but they were trying to cast a British woman. And finally they were just like, just cast, just cast the woman you want for the part. So, so we're probably leaving out at the moment. We're missing the two most problematic storylines, right? In my view, the a the 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 um, Andrew Lincoln's uh, yeah, line. that whole that whole thing sucked. <laughs> but the, the Colin the Colin Firth thing. Sorry, Colin, you're on two weeks in a row. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the Andrew. So the, basically, Andrew Lincoln is in love with his best best friend's wife. And he expresses this by taking secret, creepy videos of her during her wedding, and then like, then like, bogards their wedding video. It's supposed to be like, I, I don't know if he, it wasn't. I guess it's it's not that he was filming their wedding for them. He was just he just kept filming, and then Kira Knightley had kind of expected that she would be able to get the videos from him, and then when when she tries to get the videos then he's like oh no you can't see all my creepy videos and like yeah like everything about it is um like like it's fine to have that kind of like love triangle thing but like it was handled very poorly because they were trying to set up like they were making it seem like he was into his best friend when really it's his he's into his wife yeah yeah oh do you think that's what it was i got that vibe too that they were it was it was a feint they were trying to because at first she's like you're always yeah. really standoffish with me and he does treat her very coldly while he's very chummy with uh, uh, with Egeofor the whole time, um, but then the twist is oh actually he's in love with with Kira Knightley yeah because there's someone someone sort of at like suggests like are you are you in love with your friend he's no 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 it's not like that and there's a joke at the beginning about how like the strippers at the bachelor party were dudes or something yeah. It's it's right right like the very opening of the movie, right before you find huh. out you're at a wedding, right? He confronts him about the strippers being a bad yeah. idea, See, and I, then I, they I turned out to be really men. quickly that he was he was into Kira Knightley. Yeah, like, I had never thought for a second it was anything other than that. Oh yeah, the movie tries to get you to think he's into. Egypt oh, it tries, and then again, not a, a couple scenes later at the reception, uh, um, ah, what's her face sits down beside him and goes, "Are you?" Are you in love with him? Because right. he sees yes, she sees him filming them dancing, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's set up very much that he's in love with his best friend, but we can't in a 2003 comedy we can't have any gays 
at which, all. Which segues nicely into the other no homo plot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Bill Nighy and his manager. Uh, yeah. Where, like the they're they're having a bromance and they have to sp- literally spell out in one scene. Oh no, we're not gay. Like I love you, but it's like it's not a gay love. thing. Yeah, it's straight yeah. love. Um. Which is just kind of like, did you have to movie? Did you have to do that? Really? Yeah. And Colin Firth, there was the other. I thought we, we both were like, there's two more to go, and there's three more to go. <laughs> there was in fact three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, what do you say we? Uh, what do we say we? We should go to the second half here and try to fix this because there's oh so many pieces. This is like this is like untangling Christmas lights. This is ah, this movie take- is the tangled Christmas lights of films. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Taproot publishes weekly roundups on a variety of topics, including media, food, tech, health innovation, arts, music, regional news, business, and city council. Taproot's curators gather up the headlines and happenings on these files and deliver them directly to your inbox. You can get one or two for free. If you want more, become a Taproot member, then you can get as many as you want, plus other perks for just $10 a month or $100 a year. Get more information right now at taprootedmonton.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes, talking love, actually. Well, actually, what do you guys think we could do to fix this movie? (laughs) First off, I I do want to say that the movie is fairly progressive for 2003. The problem is it's not terribly progressive for 2021. (laughs) And... Like, if you really look at it, the movie is very white. There are very few non-white characters. Uh, It is very male. There are very few female characters. And only the men really have any agency in the movie. And it is very straight. There are no homosexual relationships and a lot of no homo in this movie, which is unfortunate. And a lot of fat jokes. Yeah. 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 Fat fat phobic and loves to loves to make fat jokes at fat people's expense which i was also like oh this is lazy comedy and it yes i'll give it that i didn't find that part to be offensive so much as i found it to be lazy like everyone's making chubby comments about this woman who is not well here's the thing though (laughs) the the character whose eyes we're seeing her through hugh grant's character frequently is flummoxed that people think she's fat and is just like really we're calling her fat. But he also, that's a he thing keeps that's calling going on? Joe the manager fat, and then there's the the yeah. p- a Portuguese girl's or Portuguese woman's sister. That's is true. Like oh yeah, there to be that's true. not that's true. as hot as her sister. There are two oh, other characters yeah. who She's, get a lot of. She's there to be like the Jokes. the the, the, da- the, love, the daughter that doesn't bummer, deserve yeah. love kind of thing. Yeah, you know that yeah. classic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this I mean this movie is steeped in tropes. It's got it's got all of them, I think, when it comes to romantic, romantic comedies. Yeah. That may yeah. have been part of the intention though, because they were they were trying to make like twelve rom coms at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> also, did we forget to mention Rowan Atkinson in the first half? We did. He's, he's also he's in here. this movie. He's here too. There's there's so much going on. The reason I bring um, him up, actually, is because he's in two of the plots and his function in both of those plots is very much as a as a character who's playing Cupid in a way because he in the first scene he's in um, basically tries to stop 
yeah, Alan Rickman from he's buying the stalling, necklace. He's stalling Alan Rickman. For so long that his wife catches him so that he can't buy the necklace. He's pushing him in the right direction. And then later on at the airport, he distracts the guard long enough for Sam to get by. And he like gives Liam Neeson a knowing wink. Um, and I think they should have gone further with that. I think it would have been interesting if he had been a common through thread with all of the plots that we keep. And he's this person, he's this entity who's kind of pushing people in the direction of, of the love they should be doing. I think that would have been neat. I think the movie was playing at that and should have committed to that. I think you're right. It would have been neat. I don't think they were trying to play at it. I think it's a great idea and I like it, but I think they needed one. They needed something to distract the the airport thing. And they're like, oh, we every character well, shows up in two arcs, at least two arcs. And we like do have character. Rowan Atkinson for three more days of shooting. So, yeah. So, like, I, I think you are right. It's a good idea. I don't think they were, like, trying to do that and then failed or, oh, fair or didn't follow through. Maybe I read into that more. Uh, but I, I think they should have leaned into that. And I think that would have been an interesting fix. And to make it work, though, you do have to kind of pluck out a few of these subplots, unfortunately. I uh, The one thing that I think I would have liked a little bit more is just a slight, a, a bit more interconnectivity. Um, because as, a, as it stands right now, like they, the characters from different subplots don't necessarily affect the outcome too much of of the other and there's there's actually a fairly large opportunity to do so because you have at at the end of the film when they all get to the christmas pageant and the prime minister is there with the object of his affection and then you have uh emma thompson's character who is just about to confront alan rickman about the cheating and it's Turns out that Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant, the Prime Minister, are real, are related. They're brother and sister, right? Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. siblings. Yeah. So, uh, like, I thought, you know, because what happens is that Emma Thompson confronts Alan Rickman at the end of the concert when everything, when all the, you know, the big song is sung already and all that kind of stuff. But I, th- I think it would be kind of more interesting if when the Prime Minister and... Um, I don't want to call her a secretary. She's a staffer, right? Staffer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's there kind of going into the concert surreptitiously and trying to hide the fact that the the prime minister is there. And uh, Emma Thompson runs into him, but it would be kind of, she, she just kind of says, oh, it's great to see you. And that's the end of it. Like, there's nothing really interesting there. Uh, so for me, it would be nice if that at that point she had already confronted Alan Rickman and... Uh, she is uh, visibly upset when she sees her brother and then there's you know you get sort of like a a, you know a scene where the you know Hugh Grant gets to comfort her or something like that Um, and maybe we can do something to Hugh Grant's plot that um, makes it necessary for him to uh, to be the comforter in that moment you could even tie it in with Liam Neeson's thing because at the beginning of the movie he calls her for because they're friends he calls mm-hmm. her for comfort after the loss of his wife. You could have him then in turn reciprocate that comfort when she needs it, when she's discovered the cheating and perhaps give her some advice then that could help her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think I, I, it's, it feels like to me like they, they, they wanted these plot lines to interconnect uh, more than they did. 
it just it just seems like there's lots of opportunity for uh for it to make a difference in how they play out I, the movie I, same is thing i said to same thing i said to scott i think you're right that's a good idea i don't think they were trying to make them more <laughs> meaningful i think they wanted it pretty superficial and surface level like this guy's the caterer in this guy's wedding like yeah the it it very much is uh, a bunch of disconnected plot lines that have uh, characters that overlap between them, but the stories themselves don't really intertwine all that much. Yeah, it's it's all six degrees of separation mm-hmm. with your characters, not with your stories. Yeah, it would yeah. if this, if we were watching each of these plot lines as separate episodes of television, it would be Emma Thompson makes a cameo in Hugh Grant's. Uh, plot line. Yeah, and then the next yeah. episode would be her episode. Yeah, where we follow her around. And and Liam Neeson makes a cameo in her plot line, and then the next episode is Liam Neeson's episode. And yeah, yeah, that's and that's what you're kind describing. Of what you're describing is the Amazon series Modern Love. Oh, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's and most Marvel movies now actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just think that, like it, it would just make the whole. I think the film came together like that at the end where the where everyone does affect the, each yeah, other's plot lines. I think it would just be much more satisfying. It mm-hmm. would it would be interesting if the lessons that the people need to learn at the end of their plots had already been learned by other people earlier in their plots. Oh, so yeah. that they can so that they can be the right person to say the right thing or give them the right advice or push them in the right direction at the climax, right? Yeah, okay. Does that make does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it does, though. It it may, I don't want to say, like, it can't be done or anything, but usually a character, especially something like this, learns one lesson, yeah, so someone's got to be first. It, it <laughs> at best would be a domino situation. Um, there's no way nobody's learning a lesson in Act 2 that they can bring to somebody else in Act 3, because if you learn a act, lesson in Act 2, you're done. You're <laughs> that, that was your Act 3, so... Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I think in 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 a movie that's got this many plots on it, I think it, I think it will work out fine. I, yeah, <laughs> it's so you're right. You're right. Someone's got to go first. Whoever that happens to be is okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it could it could simply be Martin Freeman and um, I'm sorry, I don't know the actress's name who was with them, but like that that plot is just sort of like a sweet, uh, very brief love story. So oh. that could be your that could be the easy one. That's kind of a catalyst. Yeah, the the really the really sweet yet awkward one. That's a good yeah. start. Because of the, like it, in a sense like they don't really learn any lesson. They just like they just kind of I guess I mean they overcome they their inhibitions over a little bit. Yeah. So like yeah, then it it could it could simply be that like they affect um uh, I want. I guess is it Hugh Grant? Like Hugh Grant's the one that has to come over overcome his awkwardness to be with the staffer or know. even they could be taking the plunge sort of thing could be the thing that sets uh Colin Firth off to go and fly to Portugal and uh confess his love to his to his summer House- housekeeper to his housekeeper mm-hmm. yeah that's a good that's a that's a fair one yeah 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 like yeah, they got up work. the nerve to to do it why can't I I'm gonna go right now I don't care that it's Christmas Eve I'm out of here yeah, but then he's in Portugal. How does he affect somebody else? Yeah, but his his making the declaration that he's going to go and do it could affect someone else. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and that, that could declaration be the thing. inspires Liam Neeson to tell the kid to run through the airport. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it all, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. <laughs> the, the kid running through the airport uh, makes uh, the Andrew Lincoln guy bring it, whip out his cards. 
um the the charm uh of like silent unspoken love of that Kira Knightley learns she tells Alan Rickman not to, I'm losing it it's there's too many <laughs> <laughs> it's also there's, there's a lot of plot lines yeah it might be a lot to do in maybe you know 10 minutes of just <laughs> yeah. brainstorming it right but yeah I, I, I there's definitely an opportunity there yeah uh, Anita did you have any uh any any glaring fixes you think uh, we can we can do to to tighten this up <sighs> Like I said, I really enjoy this movie. I like this movie a lot. I honestly wouldn't change it very much at all. My my fix for it would be to do a modern remake and progress it even more. Take out a couple of the romantic love stories and add a couple of platonic love stories. Let's 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 have a gay love story. Let's let's do that. It'll be have awesome. A, let's, have a more diverse cast. Yeah, like we have one, we have one or two of like familial love. Let's let's have another one. Let's have like platonic friendship love. I mean, that's kind of what they were going with with Bill Nighy, though. I know, but I would have fixed that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Pretty, I yeah, I fully I fully defend it being like a best friends. I love you. You're you're a very important person to me. Storyline, which mm. is why I would not switch that one. I would not make that one a gay subplot. I would keep that one because I because I like the idea of the platonic friendship. Like, yeah, and these, I love you, Mancine. Yeah, exactly. I just yeah, I would movie, I would have take out the I'm by... not gay part because that's dumb. You don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the film starts off by uh, intimating that like there's all sorts of like different types of love and like that's why you're at the that's why you enjoy being at the airport seeing like all these different. Um, yeah. types of love come together all at once, right? So, like, but this one, this movie's kind of, like, mostly fixated on on romantic love, but, like, you could have, like, you know, uh, familial love, sibling love, you know, friendship, um, you know, the... Oh, we, the we do get... Grieving, all that kind of stuff. We like do get sibling love with, uh, with the secretary subplot, with Laura Linney. Uh, and I would say we do get some familial love as well with, uh, with Liam Neeson and Sam, even though we're, the the storyline is very much about Sam's puppy love. There mm-hmm. is still the love between. It's a father more and a about son. the two of them than the, yeah. than yeah. the puppy love. But the the main yeah, plots in this like, movie I... are all romantic, and I would yeah the I main would, plots. I would are. throw 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 a few more different kinds in there. To the four to on sort the of, box. I yeah, guess you're saying to to more align with how the movie opens with all of the all of the loving connections. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Show us show us more variety. Because yeah, I, I still think that Laura Linney's like the crux of her plot is still romantic love because that's where the conflict is. Yeah, it's not like it, it's like she doesn't have a conflict with her brother. She always she always goes back to him. That's not where the conflict is. So that's fair. Yeah. Well, that's the choice of one kind of love over another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Family love over romantic love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I had I came at this in a weird way because so much of it is intertwined. Um, I had four, I had four problems with them, and I could fix all four four problems with this movie. I can fix all four of them with four straightforward cuts or changes <laughs> or like quick adjustments. Sure. But I was like, in the spirit of this movie, can I fix them all interconnectedly? <laughs> uh, so I'll do the the, the 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 short version for my four problems. Where Alan Rickman needs to either make a meaningful apologetic gesture or suffer meaningful consequences. Uh, I think you should we cut the whole thing with the guy going to the U.S. It was cringy up until the point of it, and then 
I did. The, the joke was fine enough. Um, but then also January Jones is in it, and we never see her take her top off. Anyway, that's not a real note, but <laughs> um, I was like, dude, everyone else's boobs are in this movie. Anyway, um, uh, but this movie but needs cut, more cut, cocks. Yeah, <laughs> cut cut the whole thing with the guy going to the U.S. That didn't really work, and it would this movie's two and a half hours. That would have saved us some time. Um, I I actually think that Andrew Lincoln's character should have been in love with his best friend, and that could have been the the, the same sex plotline. Is like he just is, and it's not a it's not a feint, it's not a misdirect or a weak ass twist. It's just he is. Uh, so just do that. Uh, and then also my fourth problem was just like I said, less fat jokes. Doesn't need to be fat shaming people. So that's the short version of how you fix those. But the longer ones, if you'll indulge me, is how you interweave them all. So Alan Rickman needs to make an apology to his wife. And I think how he does that is he makes Emma, or I was going to say Emma Stone, because that's what it says in my notes, makes that lady that looks like Emma Stone, <laughs> uh, his, his makes mistress, not Emma Stone. His, his assistant, plan a Hawaiian vacation for him and his wife but she thinks almost like flip it back on her like make make her think she's getting a hawaii vacation when really it's not for her and flip it back on her um and then that's like a significant apologetic gesture that also sort of punishes the the wicked temptress (laughs) (laughs) uh the horny guy uh i think instead of him having this harebrained scheme i think he does it every year i think it's his christmas tradition is to go to america um, but he's got a nice girl at home who maybe isn't traditionally attractive, maybe doesn't look like January Jones, but is still very nice, who actually does like him for him and isn't just like a brainless sex bimbo. Um, and he learns to like look for love, like meaningful love instead of just sex. Cause like we said at the top, that one really isn't about love. It's just about sex. So that's actually a really good fix for that plot. Yeah, gives it actually some meaningful stakes. I again, I think just cut it. But if we got to keep him, he he um uh uh goes to yeah, like I said, goes to the U.S. every year, and then learns that his best friend, his his catering friend back home, is into it, and they can be on the plane together going to Hawaii. They're going to go to America together this time, and they sit next to Alan Rickman and his wife. Um, and then I think the the Kira Knightley thing take it one step farther. Um. Because right now it's like they make you think he's in love with the guy, but really he's a creeper to Kira Knightley. The short fix would be just don't have it be a, a misdirect. But if you want to even keep the misdirect, have everyone think that he loves Kira Knightley, that he's like jealous of this guy. He's jealous of his friend Kira Knightley and the fact that he's never going to have this woman he's been best friends with since elementary school or whatever. Make her the friend. Everyone's like, oh, he's jealous because he's never going to have her and she went pick someone else. And really, he's just like having a hard time coming out and expressing his love for this guy that he's met because his best friend is dating. He's jealous of his best friend's girlfriend still. Or uh, boyfriend. You get what I'm saying? Um, Basically, flip the misdirect. Yeah, flip the misdirect where it's like everyone thinks he's into Kira Knightley. And it's like, actually, he's into Kira Knightley's new husband. Um, and you still get the fun of the misdirect, and you get a a, a, a gay subplot, um, and hell, they can go to Hawaii too. So now you got all three of them in the scene, and I've done my superficial. They all show up in each other's storyline work. So uh, have, those are those are how I fix those four problems. I have I have a problem with one of your fixes. Okay. Um. 
the the gay subplot doesn't get a happy ending, which happens a lot in in movies. Yeah, incompatible orientation is is a common trope. Yeah, and it's 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 become like a punishment for being gay. Like gay people can't have a happy ending in a movie. Because I mean, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Because uh, she would tell Egio Four is not in love with him. No, because exactly. he's straight. Right. So I, but, I, I mean, think if you're going to have a, a gay plot in this movie, I think you should at least give it a happy ending. Sure, because it isn't a happy ending as it stands. He gets this like he gets a little smooch from Kira Knightley. Neos. That'll be enough. Um, I guess in my mind it was like, look, man, we're best, we're friends too. I don't feel that way, but I like, I love you, man. Um, but maybe you're right. Maybe that is it is a bummer to not give the. Um, we can have more than one gay subplot, though. There you go. Uh, it's to, true. To make the Portuguese lady a Portuguese guy, and we're off. Sure, to the why not? <laughs> Speaking of which, um, that that particular subplot, can we like? I I feel like a, an easy fix for that the Portuguese housekeeper is to not have Colin Firth go to the the point of like proposing to her. I think it's cute enough that they learned each other's language just so that they could get to know each other better. I love that. That's a meaningful right? commitment. Like, yeah, it just goes, it just goes, it takes it one step beyond for me where, where I'm just like, this, this feels weird. <laughs> they were like, I don't, I've never, I've never understood a word you say, uh, but I also want to marry you. And like the other one's like, sure, this seems like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't crank that one all the way to 11. Maybe he just needs to find her and not propose. Yeah, it's yeah, and like then you can get that cute moment like they do in the movie where they they realize that they had both learned each other's language so they can speak to each other. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You can cut like you can cut like the Portuguese family out and the the sister and all that kind of stuff. None of I that. I kind of like that the whole village follows him to the restaurant. Yeah, I, that, I mean that's it, just it is just because it's a funny yeah. visual, right? That and then of course it's a game of telephone, right? He's her dad is selling her into slavery to this Englishman. And then at some point, some kids are like, "He's gonna go murder Aurelia." Cool. <laughs> I, I think it would be it would be kind of just funny if like they were all like just really super helpful and wanted to see good things happen because this this woman's like really loved in the community kind of thing and like they're just being like really really helpful and it kind of like makes Colin Firth feel like sort of like awkward in that situation but it doesn't need to be this whole thing where he's like he's gonna propose and and uh <laughs> yeah and have like the weird stuff with this with the other daughter honestly you could cut you could cut the fat sister entirely mm-hmm. yeah and then you yeah. save a whole bunch of the fat shaming jokes I, I'm sorry to go back to my own thing, but I just had a nice little eureka moment with my own pitch. So sort of it's oh. a bit of a derailment. Do tell. Scott, I loved what you said about the guy, the idea that this, the, 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 as Greg put it, the, the British fret, uh, Matthew Lillard, um, go, leaves a romantic comedy to go to a sex comedy. Yep. And I, I was like, keep that whole scene in the bar in Wisconsin. We see that. Like, he's, um, but it happens earlier and he literally needs to learn that he can't keep leaving this rom-com to go to the sex comedy. <laughs> he's got to have the rom-com lesson and love the girl at home. Um, and you can amp up that a bit. I think if we take my suggestion, like it actually it improved it. And I like that. Yeah. There you go. It's what we're all, all about here. We're about taking movies about love and showing them the love they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
speaking of love uh, people deserve we uh don't deserve our fans love but they bring it to us anyway because they're just <laughs> the best we have the best fans in podcasting was that a segue it was yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um thank you to everyone who uh contributed listener comments for this week's episode uh please follow us on facebook uh, i have some notes on twitter at i have some notes and on instagram at i have some notes pod will solicit the comments you post them i read them like i'm about to do now uh andrew craig says get rid of the body double storyline i get the point of it but it's just so jarringly different than the rest of the film andrew craig hated the one part of the film that we universally loved that storyline it was so sweet <laughs> They're, they're a cute couple. It's the most wholesome storyline, and there's boobs in it. I don't know what you want out of a movie, Andrew. <laughs> dicks. That's, we, we need more dicks. Yeah. That, actually, I was talking to my, my, my partner, Amanda, about this, where I was like, yeah, this movie had a lot of nudity. Should have been more nudity. I want Alan Rickman's big old dick. I, I equal, did say equal that Equal representation. <laughs> if you're going to show me a bunch of really yeah. hot boobs, I, I want to see some yeah. dick. Just saying. Yeah, Colin, Colin Firth ass. I want it. It was missing from... Uh, you know, it would have made the Golden Circle better, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they had blew off half his ass, and they had to use the foam to replace it. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I generally would have just even liked more scenes with that couple um, in, in any amount of uh, state of undress. They were just, like, genuinely the sweetest, and we didn't get much of them. That's actually another plot that goes to 11 real quick in one way, because... The last time we see them, they're engaged, and they've known each other for six weeks. Yeah, the the timeline of this film is really funny. Like, it, yeah. it, 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 in several ways, it kind of yeah, it it feels like I, things are happening way too quickly. Again, I'm I'm willing to give it some slack because it's a rom com. Uh, but yeah, to be fair, it's not six weeks, it's nine weeks. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like they they're trying to twelve. Tw- they're trying to tell like twelve different stories that not only have to like at least bump into each other, but all happen within a six week time frame that you just kinda some of you gotta well, go with it. Y- no one's the- grieving and no one's courting. It's all happening. <laughs> yeah. You know what the fix for that is, I think, is just removing the timestamps. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of leave it a little more vague what the timeline is. Yeah, leave it ambiguous as to like when things are happening and and what, why, and where kind of things. So, I know, I like, I know, I don't know. Maybe they left the timestamps in, or they added the timestamps because audience audiences thought that the movie was taking place in a week because it starts off with like the the Christmas song and stuff like that, and then he has to, and then he gets like a number one hit. So it might it might actually make the time feel even more compressed. Tough to say. Yeah. Without I'm, testing it out. I'm kind of surprised that they made this a Christmas movie and not a Valentine's movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Though, I again, I wonder how much. I wonder how much of that was like just the plain marketability of like, Christmas? look, I've got this cool idea for an ensemble, but it's like literally put that across any actor or their more actor, uh, accurately their agent's desk and be like hey would alan Rickman, alan rickman want to be in a christmas rom-com it's like that sounds like i get paid so yes please <laughs> <laughs> but christmas does tie into the plot a lot like it's not just an afterthought like there's yeah there's there a aren't scene, there aren't valentine's day pageants there's a scene that takes place at a christmas pageant there's a scene that takes place at an office christmas party 
um, like there's there's Christmas baked into a lot of the yeah, plots. Yeah, there's a scene that happens while Christmas shopping. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, back to the comments. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Nathan Martin says, Rowan Atkinson was awesome. This movie is just cute. The Kira Knightley, Andrew Lincoln, and Laura Linney stories could be removed for time. I would be inclined to at least agree to, to remove the, the maybe the Andrew Lincoln one because it, it was creepy. There's fixes for it, but it was creepy. Uh, anyway, he, sorry, Nathan continues. Um, so could the fat shaming comments, which are really just out of place. That's what I said. Uh, but the, <laughs> the rest of it is just fun popcorn love story. Yes, the, 100%. We... We keep coming back to the Kira Knightley, Andrew Lincoln story. And the thing is, it is very much a, a late 90s, early 2000s romantic gesture. Like, it's the showing up outside the window with the boombox moment. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. in in the time period, it's, it's, it's framed as very, very romantic. It is very much framed as romantic. He is portrayed sympathetically, and the movie does not does not make him look like a stalker it's with the benefit of hindsight it's super creepy though yeah it through through modern eyes it is it is creepy it is yeah i i won't deny that it's problematic but it's but it's the exact same kind of uh of trope that would appear in tons of other rom-coms that are equally creepy i'm not i'm not debating that it's not a creepy trope but it is the showing up outside the window with the boombox because it was rushed and that might be the case too, because again, they have you know. there that entire plot line takes place in what four scenes, yeah. So you don't have a lot of time to draw it out, and and it might just I, be I, I, yeah, it might just be a case of not having enough time to breathe. So we're left with a bad impression. I'm I'm going way too far defending this plot because it's <laughs> it's not great and it is cringy. I'm I'm just trying to give the movie the benefit of the doubt. Fair. I also thought it was going to be grander, considering how many times I've seen that as a meme. I really thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's for sure one of the more famous scenes from this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's. I. I think this movie has started that whole sign dropping video craze. Chantel Bear comments. I love this movie. Wonderful and gut wrenching, etc. The Carl Sarah story is so good, but I need more resolution with her brother. Also, why didn't Carl just go with her to see her brother? Why didn't they just talk about it? Oh, so frustrating. <laughs> That's what, what I said. <laughs> uh, uh, the whole Colin storyline is funny but unnecessary. Could have cut that. Now I'm going to have to go cry about Emma Thompson crying to Joni Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Emma Thompson crying to Joni Mitchell uh, hits me right in the feels. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really in our fixes, but we did also talk about how there's not enough women with agency. She's really the only female character with any like emotional stakes and agency. And I don't know where we put, put more, more of that, but that would have been, I don't know about (laughs) emotional stakes. She's definitely one of the only ones with agency. Yeah. Deja comments, uh, the talent in this movie is so much better than the movie they ended up in. I think the overall concept was interesting. An A and B list cast in a light holiday movie exploring the different types of love. Platonic, familial, romantic, obsessive, delusional, boner town USA, etc. Uh, instead, we ended up with a movie written by someone who has seemingly never had a conversation with a real live woman in which almost every dude is a creepy weirdo. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I like I mean, there's I, there's no there's don't no denying the male gaze of this movie. Like it's you know, it's it's just one of those sort of like weird quirks of of Hollywood where you know a movie that 
arguably is aimed at 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 women still has lots of um you know cameras that are oogling at boobies and and butts and stuff like that or, or and just like, like and, it's from a male perspective in the mo- but, like yeah oh for sure like every are. everything is like yeah like a lot of the storylines sort of like remind me of those kind of like male fan- romantic fantasies you have in your 20s or that you're sort of like brought up to think of as being totally relevant and and perfectly uh I don't pursue even know a woman <laughs> until she says yes Ideas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You know you. what this movie might have benefited from in hindsight, and I, this just dawned on me now: not being written by one dude. You've got mm. so many disparate plot lines. Maybe this should have been more of an anthology. Maybe the movie should have had six writers, each one bringing a different perspective to a different one of the plot lines, and then and maybe not all dudes. And then tie. Well, yeah, you you'd get some yeah. diversity in the writing as well that way and and then you you tie them all together after that you it'd still be loosely tied together because you'd be like well this character could be this character and this character could be this character so you'd end up overall with the same kind of plot threading but you'd have very different stories because you have very different writers bringing their own perspective and their own kind of view of love to the table that way and maybe the movie Mm -hmm. could have benefited from that yeah, it's possible. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to like do a movie where you have like a, an all-star writing uh, cast instead of like spending all your money on the all-star actors. Just oh, like, like there's clearly like an Aaron Sorkin scene, and then there's yeah, clearly yeah, like, a, a, <laughs> you know a Edgar Wright scene. Aaron a, Sorkin a writes Waititi the political scene. scenes, yeah. <laughs> right? He gets yeah, the prime there's, minister there's, subplot. There's like a, yeah. there's like, yeah, there's like an entire like romantic plot that happens in a walk and talk. <laughs> <laughs> Walk and talk, <laughs> and then the full camera perspective twists, and it's a it's a cute house framed perfectly in the center, and this is the Wes Anderson bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, <laughs> I'm going to point out only that this idea of all star writers, all the writers we've just mentioned are dudes and white dudes. Sorry, uh, yeah, so you would fair. not, in fact, be able to do an all star writer cast because most all star television and movie writers are boys. Yeah, I, because I'm that's just the way like, Hollywood works do um like uh romance uh writers and things like that like an all-star cast of yeah that uh, i think that would be more. And, yeah, yeah yeah more. just trying to pull them off the dome i was just trying to <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but it's yeah, telling the one, that the ones I, I, that you pulled off the top of your head are all white dudes that was, is not an accident i was trying to name drop that's the, a criticism uh, 50 of shades woman but i couldn't remember her name oh fair enough yeah, I, I'm not. I don't mean that as a criticism of you either, Liam. That is a criticism of Hollywood. I'm going to go too late. I'm going to go cry to Joni Mitchell. And take her <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone else, leave the call. Liam and I need to have need to have some girl yeah. cry together. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Well, this is uh, this, uh, this is my first holiday movie as a co-host of. Uh, I have some notes. I don't. We didn't do one last year, right? I don't think we did. I don't no. think we did. No, Anita was on a previous holiday movie though, because she did The Grinch. That was her first appearance on the show. Oh, that was ages yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Wait, when did you guys do Jingle years All ago? the Way? Uh, we did Jingle All the Way two, three years ago. I'm glad I wasn't on that one because I unabashedly love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also speaking of uh, things we didn't do, we also I realized we didn't do a best of 2020. Yeah. To in your defense, uh, 2020 was not a great year for Hollywood. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't actually a put of, out a lot, a, a lot so yeah. the slim pickings. 
Well, that's kind of the thing is like we we just we discussed wanting to do a best of 2021 as our as our uh, wrap up for the year, and we kind of collectively realized that. Um, while we all may have seen lots of movies over the last couple of years, they haven't all necessarily been current movies. Yeah. Uh, so our plan is to uh, just go over the best movies that we've seen throughout the last two years. So sort of best of pandemic releases that we have seen. <laughs> best of pandemic. We're doing, yeah, we got two two half years of movies, so we're mushing the two years together in our year-end wrap-up. To be fair, uh, but, these two years have mostly blurred together anyway. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, for sure. And I may cheat with like TV series a few times. Spoilers. Get a, get a Ted Lasso <laughs> on there and pretend it's a movie. <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's another episode. Uh, for this episode, we got to thank our guests. Thank you for joining us, Anita. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. It's nice to be Anything back. Anything you want to plug? No. Our unless unless podcast? unless we should plug we should plug the read along. Uh, you so, can, yeah. That's why I keep inviting Quantum Kickflip <laughs> guests on. Because it's weird if I do it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Scott and I have an alternate podcast about uh, an alternate medium of storytelling. It's a it's a little mini book club, very low commitment. Uh, it's called The Read Along, and you should listen to us because I think we're brilliant. Indeed, you are. It's a, a great great podcast and another proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Um, of course, uh, here at I Have Some Notes, if you want to give us a review uh, on wherever it is you're listening to this particular uh, recording, uh, if you want to give us a subscribe on that uh, platform, if you want to head over to social media and follow our social medias, all those things, very helpful. We appreciate it. Please do that. Hey, we just uh, watched a movie all about love. And if you would like to listen to a podcast all about love, you could listen to I Love This, You Should Too which is a podcast about sharing the things you like and love with people who you love. Uh, it is also a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, and you can find it right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. As mentioned, uh, the next episode will be a best of side notes. That'll happen two weeks from now. Um, then we'll be taking like roughly a month off uh, during, during Christmas, and we'll see you guys again in January. Uh, until then, I have been your host, Liam Kresik. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies! Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of The Well-Endowed Podcast. The Well-Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well-Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com.